kick this thing off? Yeah. yeah. All right. This is it. the Revelations podcast. We're revealing the truth. <laughs> welcome, welcome. That's what a revelation is, isn't it? <laughs> I'm GM. And I'm Snotty. Welcome, welcome. And I'm Mark. Here we are. And I'm the guestess of the Revelations <laughs> podcast. A man who needs no introduction, but we can give him one. Yes. Uh, well, you know, Mark and I are really good friends, so... Um, so I he love... doesn't have to introduce me. Well, he's, no, no, no. He's exempt from me. <laughs> no, but... Um, and I know a lot of the listeners will know all the artists that you worked with, but maybe not necessarily the man, Mark Schulman. Um, and I think that is... I'm a Virgo. I like long walks. Right. <laughs> I'm but, sensitive. I cry at movies. Yes. <laughs> I really do. I'm like the sensitive male. Like, I, you know, my wife's like this, you know, really awesome Swedish gal. And my daughter's this, you know, 12-year-old. And they're both like really lovely ladies. But they always laugh at me, man. I'm always the one crying at the movies. You and know, never, like, I'm way more emotional than that. There's a lot of strength in that. You know, you're an honest person. That's what I keep yeah. on trying to tell it's, myself. <laughs> but thanks, Tony. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, I feel much better about myself now. Because you know? <laughs> I know you were, uh, you know, having some confidence issues, Mark. <laughs> well, no, I, I actually think it really is is a, a definitely. I like it when people allow themselves to be sensitive and to be vulnerable, right? Especially as artists. I mean, that's one of the components of being an art, a true artist. Is allowing the vulnerability. If you don't allow vulnerability, how can you express art? Well, and then right? how do the people connect? Because I yeah. think when you talk about, especially music, which you know is your primary, you know, thing. Well, and speaking, it's, yeah, you really got to connect. Speaking. Yeah, yeah. But for all the listeners that wouldn't know, you are legendary in the business. You've so. seen him tour with Cher. Yeah, don't you know who I think I am? I You've know. seen him I'm tour the world with. I'm a legend of my own mind, man. Pink. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. I, um, I don't want to be just completely no. The man behind the beat. Yes, Cher. I've been fortunate, man. I, 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 my first tour, I played with a gal. I'm still friends with Brenda Russell, who's this amazing R&B artist, who wrote the music for The Color Purple on Broadway. Wow. Oh, wow. And she's amazing. She's written like a lot of hits for other people. And we opened up for Billy Ocean. That tells you that how long ago. It was. Wow, that was a while ago. And the then 80s. It went from there. <laughs> and I was playing with like a lot of smooth jazz artists, people that are still great friends of mine, like Dave Cause and, you know, David Benoit and Bobby Caldwell. Um, and then I got my first taste of rock and roll. I auditioned for four. And then I got the Foreigner gig. And then all of a sudden, I went from doing like, you know, these R&B and, and fusion jazz. You know, I never call myself like a, like a full-on, like a bebop jazz player. But I was playing like fusion jazz, which is basically like a lot of funk, you know. But then when I got the Foreigner gig, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Now we're playing all these big venues. And it was like a whole different thing. Then I was addicted. <laughs> and then I, you know, got the, started working with Billy Idol and Simple Minds. Right. And, um on and off for many years. I was doing different gigs together. I mean, at one point I was doing like Billy Idol um, and then I auditioned for Cher and I was doing Cher and Billy Idol and Simple Minds and <laughs> Foreigner. I mean, right. I've, I've been really grateful that I've been able to navigate playing with some of, you know, some of the great musical artists, man. Well, I know for us, we're really excited to have you on because the concept of this podcast obviously is about... Uh, inspiring people to continue to dream and chase their dream and yeah. go after the dream, have the courage to um, to do that. And I think you kind of embody that, you know, not just in your <laughs> musical self, 
not in just your person, but also what you're doing now uh, career-wise. So it, it's, it's called just... tenacity. Yes. Yes. And I'll tell you a great, Word of the day. great story right about that time period, right? Okay. So I auditioned for Foreigner, right? I got the gig. Then I don't hear back from him for like a month. <laughs> then a friend of mine, Mark Brown, this great bass player, um, he's like, man, I was recording at Conway, which was one of the big recording studios at the time. And Foreigner was recording. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Foreigner was recording. So I call up Kevin Jones, who was Mick Jones, the head of the band. His brother was the, the, the tour manager. And I'm like, Kevin, it's, it's Mark Shulman. What's going on, dude? I, you know, I, I thought I got the gig, you know, playing before. <laughs> and he's like, well, you did, man. But, you know, we're recording and we hired this producer named Keith Forsey. And Keith's a drummer and, you know, Keith is very particular about drummers so he, he you know he hadn't heard your name so we're using you know Tal Bergman for some of these recordings and Tal's great I mean Tal's still a friend of mine I said look I totally respect that I said would you mind giving me Keith's phone number that's what a tenacious tenacious yes. pushy guy does yes so I got on the phone and my hand was shaking man I can, and I leave my message Keith this is Mark Shulman listen I know you use talent he's a great drummer and I love talent but if you ever need a drummer man you're ever in a bind give me a call I'm going to phone I thought it's never going to happen I swear to God three months later I get a page remember you don't remember pages he, he probably almost remembers beep, pages beep, yeah beep. Uh, <laughs> knows that he and so, right, I, so I call back <laughs> so, I, so, so I, I call him and there's a message like Mark it's Keith Forsey listen man I'm in the studio and Tal's not available I need a drummer man can you come down and play and he now Keith had done the he had written Don't You Forget About Me Originally for Billy Idol, and oh, Billy wow. turned it down, so he gave it to some. One of my favorite all-time songs from the eighties, yes. by the way. Yeah. So Keith oh, wrote it every time. So I Keith did that. The uh, he's he had been known for doing soundtracks. So he did the Breakfast Club. So he had been called to do um, Beverly Hills Cop Three, a Pointer Sisters track, and that's what he called me for. And so I called him back. I said, Keith, it's Mark. Yeah, I'll, I'll come right down. You know, I call my. Um, tech at the time and you know drums go down there I head down there I meet Keith and Keith's like a super super hyper Englishman British guy really awesome and it so turns out that this this track was remember New Jack Swing it was like a hard hitting duke 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 and that was right man I love playing that shit (laughs) right and so I wrote out the chart I went in I cut it first take and I came back into the control room. He gave me the biggest hug. He said, mate, that was incredible. From that point on, he started calling me. Oh, so, and the irony was, the stuff that he produced for Foreigner never made it. And I ended up recording all this other stuff with Foreigner and doing and being in that band. And you know, I've been in that band off and on for like 17 years. So because I called Keith. So then I get a call from Keith and he's like, um, no, then I get a call from Steve <laughs> Stevens who's Billy Idol's guitar player. Yeah. And he's like, you know, and he's Steve has kind of this New York accent. He's Steve, Mark, this Steve Stevens, and, you know, Billy's not producing this, but, you know, our drummer's in rehab. We need a drummer. We're, we're, we're playing the end title theme for the movie Speed. Can he come down and play? I'm like, you bet your ass I come Wow, <laughs> on the Speed soundtrack? Yes, wow. I played the end title theme. Wow, I So I came down, scene. and I played that one song, and then for the next eight years, I was Billy Idol's drummer. <laughs> yeah. all that. And I did a bunch of stuff. I played on Steve's solo record, and I ended up doing this big Japanese tour. And then I get a call from Keith. Keith's like, I oh, you know, man, I got called to do one 
the Mario Brothers film. I got called to do a Simple Minds track for Mario Brothers. Can you come down and play? Because they had had a fight with Mel Gaynor, the great drummer from Simple Minds. And so he called me. So one song turned into <laughs> nearly the entire record. And my friend Mark Brown, that same guy that had told me about Foreigner, because Keith's like, bring your own bass player. So I call up Mark. Mark's, you know, said, Mark, you want to come down and, 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 you know, play play on this record for like $2,000 a day? He's like, uh, let me think. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I ended up playing nearly the entire record. Then they asked me to do the tour. By that point, I've been playing with Foreigner for a few years. I quit Foreigner, did Simple Minds. So I did got all of those gigs because I made one phone call. Right. Because I was ballsy enough and tenacious enough to realize that if I put it out there, and that's the problem with most artists, they don't do that. Right. And we I talked know. about that on the first podcast. Just you, you know, a lot of people don't think they have the makeup to do that. You know, they're yeah. maybe a little, they feel like they're a little shy or, oh, I can't do that, you know. But it's imperative when you're chasing a dream or a goal or that you have those moments where you're bold enough. You know, to say, hey, you know, give me the call. Hey, yeah. I'm here. Dude, or wave I mean, your hand or whatever. Hey, I'm right here. It didn't take it's, a lot. Yeah. And, and I was nervous. It's not like, oh, yeah, I feel great. I'm, I'm, I told you, my hand was shaking. I'm like, oh, Keith, it's Mark Schulman. You know, uh, give me a call. Uh, and I didn't expect him to call. But I thought, you know, I need to do this because I also believe in sort of that the universe responds to what we do. And I've often found that I get rewards for actions that I've taken by doing other things when I least expect them. Right, right. So, you know, you might be knocking, pounding on the door, pounding on the door, and you're just about to give up, and all of a sudden somebody taps you on the back, and the opportunity's there for something. Yeah. But, I Divine mean, that one timing. phone call made me a million dollars. Yeah, for sure. I mean, sure. seriously. It's like by the time <laughs> yes. I like, all played with all those artists, all the records, all the recordings, all the touring, you know, touring, playing Billy, you know, recording, writing with Billy. We wrote songs together. I mean, right. you know, there was a lot of work. And so I, I can't say that I don't like I'm responsible. You know, I feel like it's the universe and, and decisions that come through me. I'm very egoless about things that happen. I just flee. You're like, like a vessel. Inspiration. Yeah. I'm the vessel. I'm the conduit. Right. right. But it is my responsibility to do the work. Right. And one of my favorite things is the tenacity but yeah. also success being when preparation meets opportunity perfect i you love know? that definition it's exactly and by making the phone call by yeah. charting out the music by being prepared when and the by nailing that met, sucker on the first yes. take <laughs> yeah but it, you know again it's like the stars were aligned because i mean i was prepared totally. i was you know on my game and i was I could go in and you know nail sessions. I mean, my, for my things, like if I do, if it takes me more than two or three takes to do something, um, I got a pretty simple pop song. I mean, I've you know these crazy fusion tracks, and but if I'm doing a simple pop song, man, if I don't nail it in like two or three takes, I'm disappointed with myself because I also feel like there's a there's an excitement that you get from the spontaneity of recording, and if you can get something and you can get it early. You'll never recapture the newness. It's like the first kiss, right? Right, yeah. The first kiss That's is different than, Which we talked than about the that, second yeah. or third or fourth kiss. And the yeah. second or third or fourth kiss can be freaking awesome. <laughs> and hopefully it is. Or like with my wife, hopefully the two millionth kiss is still good. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? There's something about the first kiss, about the first take, something yeah, about yeah. the... That's why we were talking earlier. It's like, keep this goddamn thing rolling. Don't miss a thing. Because right. I can't tell you how many sessions 
where we were like, okay, we're just going to run this. We're going to just play a couple of rehearsal takes. And we slam it. And then, the, and then we're like, you got that, right? And the engineer's like, uh, no. oh, I forgot to press record. It's like, oh. dude, really? Are you a novice? Are you a baby? And you press record because that's where the magic happens. We were, we were talking about this on the way over because yeah. I used to do commercials and stuff. And it was very much a... Like, okay, everybody be quiet, and then, you know, they give you that one action, and then you've really got to... But yeah. the smart directors would go, hey, we're just going to run through it once. Right. And everybody just relax, and, you know, just, okay, let's just do this, you know. And then they would always go back to that first take that we did. Of course, you always had to do several more takes after that, but they generally yes. ended up going back to that, because it's that newness that you're talking about. Well, that the key kiss. what you just said right. is there's no pressure. Right. Yeah. Because if you feel like, oh, it's just a rehearsal, there's something about your mind that just yeah. thinks, oh, you know, I can have fun, I can open myself up a little bit. Or there's also that feeling like, oh, we've got one in the can that's great, so now just play one and have fun. And that's also often the take that, right. we, that we will end up That using. improvisational Be thing that happens Because there's a little after, bit yeah. more looseness and a little bit more like fun and a little bit more like reckless abandon, yeah. right? You know, yeah. as a drummer. Yeah. Uh, Which is the magic, really, right? Isn't it? You can get magic in that too. Yeah. So as long as like you can do anything to take the pressure off, right. then you're, you're rocking, you're laughing. Or, you know, a guy like me, it's like, I just, it's not pressure. I just, I'm, I'm like... One of my concepts I even talk about when I speak is the difference between have to versus get to. Right. You know, if I'm ever feeling a sense of pressure or strain or or hesitancy or reluctance, I shift my have tos to get tos. I get to do this, and the moment I do that, it becomes a choice. See, it's it's sure. sort of like that same idea of saying, "Hey, we're just running it through. Don't worry right. about. It. We're yeah. not. You know, it's, it's, it's just let your mind yes. get the out mind, of the way. The yeah, mindset, mind the perception, Perfect. Yeah. right." Perfect way of saying um, One of the really fascinating things that I, because we've known each other for a long time, we're really good friends, um, and I just have always been so inspired by you, and that's why I'm just really so excited to have you on today, because about being here, man. that's yeah. what this podcast is about, that's the, the concept that Snotty came up with, well, was let's you. inspire yeah. people. And thank who, you. And yeah. so we did our first podcast, and then now you're our first guest, which we're so honored, thank you. Well, thank you, um, I'm honored to be the first guest, but I'm caffeinated, <laughs> life is good! Exactly. We're in point doom, if you guys could just, well, you can see how beautiful it is. Look behind Snotty, Amazing. look at how gorgeous that is. Yes. Um, it's like, you live in heaven, brother. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, 100%. Um, but one of the things that I learned about you that was really, that I didn't know, all these years that we've known each other, is that you um, started out as a cellist when you were a, a kid. And well, that's a funny story. Cello. Because <laughs> part of the concept here is like telling that revelation story about what shifted you to chase that dream, you know, and go after your dream, which you have expanded on yeah. that by a million times now you've lived all those dreams and now you're even in the realm of now encouraging other people to go after it and chase it that's why it's yeah. so perfect that you're here but i was just really curious about that transition that you know you're this cellist you're classically trained you're playing with la the junior la philharmonic was it? Yeah, la junior philharmonic right and well, let, me tell, let me tell you the story <laughs> let me tell the absolute truth right all right so like I was old enough to like see the Beatles on Ed Sullivan when I was like, when I was like two years old. So the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Wow. February twenty third, nineteen sixty four. Yeah. Wow. Because yeah. I remember, or yeah, I don't, when was it? February twenty third. Yeah. So I was probably two and a half years old. Yeah. Right. I mean, and I remember this. Twist shit, and shout. Right. Yeah. So 
So I'm glued to the TV because, you know, my whole family, even my conservative parents, my brother's six years older than me, of course, he wants to see it because he's a musician. So I remember like seeing John, Paul and George. And I remember just seeing Ringo and something resonated, like just that big, beautiful nose, that <laughs> smile and the way that he would like, shift his little drumsticks. Yeah. The mop top. Yeah. And then I saw the screaming girls and I was like, I'm, I'm in. in. Yeah. <laughs> and from that moment on, I was hooked. Yeah. That yeah. young. As a drummer, like I, I didn't choose drums. Drums chose me because I don't know what it was. Something resonated deep inside, and I'm like, it, I always wanted to play drums, but my brother was playing violin already, and my parents uh, were both college professors, and my dad loved classical music. That's how that happened. So I was, I was like, curious. Mom, I want to play drums. I want to play drums. She's like, and they're like, drums are too loud. Can't you play a nice mm -hmm. instrument like your brother Randy? He plays violin. So my brother was being taught by my uncle Ben, who was my godfather. So I used to go to the I uh, love his rice. lessons. What's that? <laughs> I love his rice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He makes good rice too. Um, so I used to go to the my, my brother's violin lessons. And yeah. Remember, there was like this tall violin standing in the corner, and and um, first I started playing piano, and I just sucked. I just didn't get it. It just like wasn't my thing. I sat at a drum set at five years old and could play, but my parents still didn't. You know, wasn't a thing. I started playing piano, not getting it. But I saw this thing standing in the corner, and I'm like, I want to play that. <laughs> so I started playing cello. Cello, Mark. So it was just a, it was a surrogate, See, but I, I could play. And and then I started, um, you know, then I, then we actually had an orchestra back then in our elementary school that was it wasn't publicly funded, but it, but we had a volunteer teacher that would come in. So I actually learned how to play in orchestras and play cello. And then my godfather would give me drum a little drum lesson because he was <laughs> he was a band teacher, so he gave me a little drum lesson. And eventually, at nine years old, I got my first drum set. Wow. And I'll never forget, my brother showed me. It was in my parents' closet for like a month before Hanukkah, right? Every time my parents would go out, man, I'd just go and just sit in front of that drum set. You know? And then like, like, <laughs> like six in the morning, morning of Hanukkah, it's what like, kind of it's kit, Hanukkah! What kind of kit was you it? Know, it was a Radio King Slingerland 1939 kit that I wish I freaking had right Ooh, now, dude. Can you With imagine? a Radio King snare drum. Wow. What color was it? It was white. Ooh, Painted nice. white. Love it. But they they just couldn't deny it anymore. And then they were so cool because my parents were, you know, two college professors with their bedroom right next to mine that uh, was like, you know, every waking hour drumming. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Yeah. I played like in a band when I was nine, and then I played my first professional gig the night of my bar mitzvah. I was still 12. I had a professional gig. I cared more about the gig than my bar mitzvah. I was playing with a horn band. I was going to make oh, $50, so dollars, man. Then from the age of 14 on, I was playing every weekend. Bar mitzvahs and weddings. My friend Steve Diamond, still one of my best friends. He was the kid who, I was youngest, so he was two years older than me. He had the business acumen. So he was booking these gigs, man. We're putting on tuxes. And playing like weddings and bar mitzvahs and making 150 bucks, 200 bucks each in the 70s on the weekends. I never even oh, got to man. play in marching band. I wanted to play in marching band, but I was too busy playing gigs. How did it feel getting that first paycheck for playing drums? Like, it was unbelievable. I'm a professional. So I'm it was the night of my yeah. bar mitzvah. Do you, you know, remember what like, you did with it? What's that? Do you remember what you did with the money? 
No, because I what I did is I took all the money, all my bar mitzvah money, and bought my first four track. Talk about analog okay. tape, all right? Yeah. And and I so I was one that was recording all my bands like as we were growing up. So I was like the producer. You got like a little mixer, and like my brother had another four track. And how we would bounce tracks so we'd have multi track. Wow. So we had four tracks. Then we'd bounce it onto the other four track to two tracks. Then we'd have two more tracks. We keep on bouncing it back and forth, just getting noisier and noisier. <laughs> and noisier. But we could do like 16 tracks recording. That's uh, really cool. That, that's so cool. And you're industrious as a kid, yeah, right? I'm, I'm, I'm loving this because I always perceived it to be, okay, well, Mark was this, uh, you know, this classically trained young cellist, and then something sparked him to do the drums but now i'm hearing it was always drums for you which makes sense it makes total i mean i could play cello decent you know i actually played cello on the pink tour because i had my my brother (laughs) for whatever reason as a gift bought me some little cheap chinese cello so i started kind of picking it up when i was um just you know right before i started playing with pink and then on one of the pink tours there was one song that she did called i don't believe you and there was no drums and it was in the key of C, thank God. And Eva, the bass player, is still one of my best friends, man. She's played stand-up bass. And Jesse Green was playing violin and cello on the tour. And so they were going to put together a little string section. And, um, you know, Paul Merkovich, who was the, the MD, you know, for, uh, for The Voice, was the MD for Pink at the time. And I kept on telling Paul and Pink Alicia, like, you know, I play cello. You know, I play cello. You know, I play cello. And so finally they said, all right, we'll give it a shot. So I ended up playing cello during that song. So I jumped off the drums, and we went to the front of the satellite stage, and I played cello. How Thank long God. had it been since you played cello? Well, I mean, you I, just jumped off I the started, drums. I started brushing up, because okay. cello's not like an instrument you could just pick up and play. Right. So I started practicing. I was only playing about 12 long notes in the key of C, so it wasn't that hard. <laughs> um, but uh, it was still cool. Like, I think I would find that know, hard. But here was the, the, fun, the funniest part. Like my daughter now, who's 12, so back at that time, I think she was only like two or three. So I'm like, I'm going to keep on playing cello. So I go in a, you know, go into our den and I start playing cello. She started crying. Oh, <laughs> wow. Daddy, stop! <laughs> like, okay, I guess I'm not cut out to play cello anymore, man. Or was you it know, the long, sad notes in the key? No, I think she was just like, Daddy, it sounds like shit. Minor notes. You know, right. oh. um, so yeah, I don't call myself a cellist. You out of respect to cello players now, you know. But I did conduct my junior high school graduation orchestra and one most talented. So there you go. I was playing drums and cello. Of course. Time. In my opinion, you're still a cellist as yeah. well. Thanks, buddy, but yeah. I don't disrespect cellos. Just like I don't call myself a percussionist either. Right. Because percussionists can play percussion. I play drum set. I mean, I could play a kunga pattern and a cowbell. We, we but when count you're a great percussionist, yeah. right, <laughs> you, you don't call yourself a percussionist when you're right. a drum set player. You we know? count to four and start over. You know, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. our thing. <laughs> right, right. But, I, you know, I think having the background in cello probably brought a different mindset, a different musicality. Oh, you know what it did? When you sat at the drums. You know? Well, it... it, it Everything influences everything else. So right. everything mm-hmm. you know musically. But what it did is it gave me a very acute acute sense of pitch. Ah. So my pitch is, is quite acute. So Because I sing as well and I arrange vocals. So I was doing a lot of backing vocals for a lot of my artists because I know harmony. I studied harmony as well. But I could hear an orchestra right now and tell you if somebody's out of tune. Oh, I like mm. it. Because I just kind of developed that. Because pitch when you're playing so a, a, a string instrument without frets... You have to make immediate adjustments. I mean, if your ear is decent, right. you immediately like make those minute adjustments. I even remember reading some article with one of the great 
um, like Yasha Heifetz or one of these great violinists, and they said that they still will make the quickest, minute tuning adjustments because like nobody else will hear it, but they will get it because they still need to because, you know, you're still playing, like especially a violin, this is a teeny little fretboard to these big old fat man fingers, <laughs> and it has to be perfectly in tune, you know, if you're a master anyway. And so you're always still making adjustments. And, you know, me as a cello player, certainly, and, and one that isn't that great, I'm, I'm making adjustments like, oh, crap. You know, especially when you're going in like third or fourth position, you're going higher on the neck, and all of a sudden it's a little bit more difficult, you know. Whereas if you're just playing guitar, man, it's like, you know, you got frets or fretted bass, you know. Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of respect for people who play fretless instruments because you really, you're in, the need for a stronger sense of intonation is a lot more acute, right? How did that feel from, I know you have the confidence behind the drum set for those large <coughs> pink audiences, but stepping out with the cello. Well, the first, I was yeah. a little, I mean, I was, I had practiced a lot. Yeah. Just for my 12 notes in C. Yeah. <laughs> because mom was on the road and was like, I wasn't practicing the pink parts really because yeah. we had already practiced those a gazillion times. But the cello parts, <coughs> excuse me, every day. I'd be like an hour or two at least, you know, just practicing my long notes and just making sure, um, making sure I heard myself really loud on my inner monitors. Like I got to be the loudest thing to make sure that I can hear myself. Um, it was cool. It was. It was. I'll tell you, it was really kind of a little weird. Was going from drums to cello though, right? Yeah. Because cello was so delicate, and you know. It's not like I'm playing, you know, bebop or brushes or something. I'm going from that to like hard hitting, hard hitting, you know, sticks, like stadium rock, slamming you know? drums. Yeah. So that was an interesting curve to learn how to do that. Yeah. So that said, um, so you're always a drummer. We've established that since yeah. The I mean, age, I'm, since I'm a Ringo drummer. Man. That's the, like, come on, yeah. that's who I so am. So then yeah. you were getting all these gigs with your and your buddy was a businessman. That was cool. You started getting paid yeah. by the time you were 13 or whatever. Yeah. When was it that you said, okay, now I'm going to zero in and go after the career. I'm going to go after the dream and you know to work with all these amazing oh, people thanks, to uh, you know pursue the sort of larger dream of the drum career. Well. The God's honest truth was, you know, my parents were both college professors. I was a grammar and composition tutor. My dad had a PhD, wrote four college-level grammar books. They weren't <laughs> musical. Like, wow. the last thing, and then, like, they said I had a high IQ, so they're, like, the last thing they expected was a damn drummer. They thought I was going <laughs> to be, like, a dentist, attorney, or something. But I never saw anything else. Huh? I only saw myself as a drummer. I even went to Cal State Northridge, <clears throat> but I dropped out to play music full-time. So for me, it's like, that was it. That's all I cared about. So I remember I did my, <clears throat> one of the pivotal moments for me, though, was I was living in Portland, Oregon. I moved up there with a band. And uh, there was a great uh, artist named Dan Reed of Dan Reed Network in the 80s. And he was a good friend. And, and he was, they had, like, gotten a record deal. They were opening for Bon Jovi and Journey. So he's friends with the Journey guys. And and the Journey guys were putting together this band called Bad English, right? Ooh, so Dan calls yeah. me one day. He goes, dude. I got you an audition for Bad English, man. I think you're ready. You should come in. You should slay this and get this gig. And it was Neil Sean and John Waite and um, uh, Jonathan Kane from, you know, 
uh, all these different, you know, really heavy hitters. And like legit established guys. Yeah, like right? le- really legit stuff. But they wanted a younger drummer, right? So I went in and I got the chance to audition. And all my flaws came out. I was so nervous. I was rushing. It was it was incredible, man. It was my, my first book, I wrote a book called Conquering Life Stage Fright. Yeah. The impetus of writing the book was how miserably I failed that audition. Because <laughs> I started playing and I was rushing. And Jonathan Kane, the keyboard player, stops. He says, man, you're rushing. I said, oh. Man, okay. So then I was even more nervous. So I play it again. Then I stop 30 seconds later. He picks up a metronome, you know, timekeeping device, chucks it across the stage, lands the base of my hi-hat stand. So the light is flashing. He says, just watch the light. And I was like, oh. Yeah. So I'm watching the light. <laughs> then I'm realizing, wait, I got to look up and look like a rock star. Then I'm watching the light. <laughs> and, and after, I actually made it through like, and we were just jamming basically. Like, I didn't know the songs. I didn't like, have to learn anything because they were a new band. <clears throat> and after they're done, like, you know, Jonathan King gets up and, you know, to shake my hand. And I thought, you know, and I looked up and, and Ricky Phillips was a bass player. So to this day, man, I love Ricky, you know. He was like the guy that was like really egging me on, like right. being cool, like like sort of telegraphing. Kind of leaning me. into it with yeah. you, yeah. And Rhythm so, you section. know, when I was done, he was yeah. like, you know, good job. And yeah. Jonathan King gets up to shake my hand, and I'm thinking like maybe they like me. He's like, thanks, Mark. We'll give you a call. And like uh, that was it. And you know, and I picked up my sticks and I went out to the. I was in tears, man. I went out to the car and I remember like hitting the steering wheel, going, you know, doctor. Attorney, dentist, why didn't I listen to my Jewish parents and just do that? I was, I was literally like, I was, I was going to give up. I went home, I crawled in bed with my rock and roll boots and all my jewelry on. <laughs> I pulled the covers over my head. I'm like, and then I just literally kicked the covers off and said, you know what? This is a definitive time for me. Right. It's an important it's lesson, right? The moment, this is either the moment I'm going to jump off the stage right. forever or I'm going to fix my flaws. Right. And I made two promises right there. One was that nobody was ever going to tell me I'm speeding up or slowing down unless I want to speed up or slow down. Because it's not that it's bad to speed up or slow down. It's just bad to get nailed for it if you're not supposed to. And I said, two, I want to be able to manifest and transpose this fear into confidence. And and that was part, I was kind of already on the spiritual journey where I was reading a lot of spiritual books and studying with this gentleman, Dr. Jim Samuels, who's the co-writer of my second book, was like the mentor of my life. And I had stopped partying. I wasn't drinking, doing any drugs. I was really clean. I was like, you know what? And then I found the rhythm course, which was a course designed specifically for developing your internal sense of time. Um, Oh, wow. Taught by this guy named Jamie Font and it, and... Here's the interesting question. It's like you ask people. And I even asked Charlie Burchell when I was playing in um, Simple Minds. I said, man, do you think it's the drummer's job to keep the time or is it everybody's job? And Charlie, you know, he talks like he's like this, um, the strongest Scottish accent. He's like, Mark, of course it's the drummer's job, you know. It's not true. It's everybody's job to keep the time. Because if you think about a rhythm section, right, it's the combined way that everybody feels time that makes each rhythm section feel the way it feels. You know, like you listen to Led Zeppelin and everybody always thought that John Bonham was behind the beat. That's because Jimmy Page was pushing the beat. And John Paul Jones, a bass player, was somewhere in the middle. So it was all musicians enrolled in the rhythm course. So I spent two years of my life like really focusing on developing my internal sense of rhythm to the point where I wouldn't even be shaken if I was nervous. And it worked. And so when I got the chance to play with Brenda Russell, 
from that point on, it was all good. And, and again, to this day, meets to this day, right. right? To this day, nobody's ever told me I was speeding up or slowing down unless I wanted to. Speed up. <laughs> yes. Which, in the case of like playing the share gig, I remember playing the song "Turn Back Time." We uh, used to joke, me and you know Paul Merkovich, same guy, same I musical director. We would start at like the record tempo was like 106, like really slow. We'd start at like 118. Because she'd want it fast. And by the end, we'd be up to like 1.30. And I'd be watching her skip. You could tell by the way she was singing. Like, so we'd just be rushing and rushing. Because that's what she wanted. I, you know, cha-ching. She's paying my freaking paycheck. I'm not going <laughs> to like, just, hey, i got to keep perfect time. No, you go with what yeah. the musicians I'm going to hold share yeah. onto the beat. <laughs> yeah. And there were nice even... I remember with Foreigner, man. I used to play... We had a few of the songs I'd play. I was always controlling the sequencing for my chair. Because I would have like... I'd use like a... Um, a momentary pedal and I'd start and stop sequences with my left foot so I would never have to okay. use a pad right? right and we had like some backing vocals and some other things and I remember one night like we are playing a song and Lou Graham the singer you know singers are classic for wanting to go really fast right They have, singers always want to rush especially live live yeah, Cause you, yeah. so it depends on and sometimes the band is just dragging, like everybody's tired, depends on how much coffee you've had or how much sleep you've had. So Lou's like, pick it up, man, come on, we gotta go faster. And like, I'm playing with a click, I can't really pick it up. So I said, hell with it, just turned off the click. So <laughs> the samples were gone and we just kind of went. And he's like, great, you know? So you just do what's the highest good of all concern, right? So it's not about like my ego. Sometimes the organic rhythm too, like once it's set, it kind of just, oh yeah, it, it rides the song out. You don't have to be, you know, it's good yeah. to have that click and have that solid right. foundation. Well, I became but. such a stickler for tempo that I was always like have, wanting a click. Right. You know, when I joined Stevie Nicks, um, or when I was auditioning for Stevie Nicks, even when I auditioned for Cher, they didn't even know. But I had my little Walkman headphones and a little, you know, disguised like click hidden. And I remember Waddy Wachtel, the, the musical director, yeah, said before we auditioned, Waddy, yeah, he said. Oh, Stevie hates clicks, man. I said, great. I played every song for the audition. Even with the click. With a click. Played every song for five weeks, every rehearsal with a click. Because my idea is, I feel like I know that what we're trying to do is we're trying to create muscle memory. So when you get to the stage, because, you know, your natural, uh, whatchamacallit, um, your, uh, what's the word? I'm spacing on the word. Inner metronome, internal rhythm. No, no, your uh, your uh, your excitement, your natural energy. Oh yeah, yeah. your endorphins of your adrenaline. adrenaline. Thank you. Yeah, it's always going to push you faster, right? So I was just trying to create as much muscle memory as I could. You know, another story I had is I got called to play. My friend Dave Cos wanted to do like, um, you know, these. He's a smooth jazz guy, and they would do all this programming stuff, and everything was super R and B. He wanted to do like a more of an organic record. So they didn't want to use any click tracks and they wanted to play like with acoustic guitars and, you know, drums with like, I was using like one brush and one stick and they didn't want to use a metronome. But I also knew Tom Panunzio, who was the engineer, he's like, yeah, we're going to cut different verses and choruses from different takes together. And immediately I'm thinking, train wreck. <laughs> and I don't want to say that I know better than anybody else because I don't, but I do know one thing and that's that if you're going to cut takes together you damn well better be using a click track so i had the big the big studio headphones and underneath i was playing every song to a click track and they never knew right ah. 
But then a couple weeks later, Panunzio calls me up and goes, man, I got to tell you, your, time, so your time is perfect. It was so easy. You know, and he called me to do like four more records. But that's because I had the insight to understand at least what he was doing. And not that I would ever say, you know, do, do what someone tells you not to do. But sometimes if you have your own insights and you know it can be better for the highest good of all concern, not because of my ego, I give a shit about my ego. But I knew that the continuity of having the same tempo, both for the Stevie Nicks gig and even for the for that for the Dave Cause studio, really made a difference. And because I had become such a stickler, because I had freaked out a few years earlier, so right. in the back of my head, I'm like, "No, man, you know, just because your tempo is solid does not mean because people would were, were thinking, and still to this day they think you play with the click, you're stiff." No, it just means you have good tempo. Right. I remember when I studied with Joe Picaro, who was one of the great, you know, rest in peace, one of the greatest teachers, you know, Jeff's dad. He always told me, he said, man, you know, I'm playing in studios, I've been playing with clicks my whole life because I play all these, you know, uh, uh, I'm playing a movie soundtracks and the clicks are moving and they're changing. He said, I always acted like a click was just a percussionist with really good time, playing with a cowbell, right? When I did the Stevie Nicks gig, I played live with Lenny Castro. That guy has seriously great time. It's like Buddha. Dude, dude. Like he plays a cowbell. That shit ain't moving. So I never was intimidated by the click. Once I, you know, got really comfortable, I thought it's just like a percussion for a good time. But I, and, I, and also I think the lesson is, because we're talking about how people have to chase your dreams. You're going to have that time where you fail or it doesn't go right. You have to fail. And this oh, is a yeah. classic you case. You have to learn how to feel. Yeah, 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 exactly. And what you yeah. were just saying really speaks to that. But you got to pick yourself up and figure out what you need to do to continue to pursue that and how right. you can make the adjustments along the way. Like, you you know, you're, you're here with the covers up over your head and, you know, you kick those things yeah. off. And then you go, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to figure out how to, you know improve on this and I'm still going to go for the dream. I'm not going to let this crush me because a lot of people do get so crushed right. by one bad thing that it just scrambles them and they don't have the, you know, the wherewithal to keep pushing through and making something good out of the bad experience. So I well, think it's there are one or two ways of, of looking at it. You either use these opportunities to make you stronger or to make you weaker. It's kind of like a, What's that style of martial arts that Steven Seagal is known for where he takes people's energy and uses it against oh, uh, them? So you take the energy and it's... Krav it's, it's, it's called... Yeah. Yeah, something like Or whatever that. it is. Yeah. It's, it's called owning. So if you take a situation like that where you have, you have a failure, you can own the failure and use it to inspire you and make you stronger and make you try harder. Or you can take the experience and have it weaken you and, and weaken your confidence. And I've always been the kind of guy that's like... I'm too tenacious and I'm, and I'm too driven to take a failure and use that as a, an excuse right. to quit when I get to use that as an excuse to make me stronger and try even harder. And that's why that was a definitive moment right. when I was lying in my bed because that was the moment I either made the decision, I'm either going to let it crush me or I'm going to say the hell with that, I'm going to get a rhythm course, I'm going to make myself better, I'm going to get more confident, and I'm going to build this up. And I did. From a psychological... And we all have that choice. Yes. And and the choice can also be a very spontaneous choice, like in all these different situations. Even when you're dating somebody, any any kind of like negative feedback you might get, you can use that in that moment 
to strengthen you for the next moment to be better, or you can <laughs> use that in that moment to tear you down. And it's your decision at that moment. Right. And you make the, the pre-conscious decision at that moment, whether you're aware of it or not. So what would you say to the people that don't think they're tenacious and driven enough to push through? Like, how, what's that, that key to pushing through? How to flip the switch. Yeah. yeah. Change it from a get-to to a have-to. I like Bam. it. Bam. So it. simple. You say, okay, I get the opportunity to improve. I get the opportunity to learn. Because if you didn't learn that, whatever you need to learn right then and there, you wouldn't have necessary information to have the success you need anyway. Because if I hadn't gotten shaken up, because Jonathan Cain did something so dramatic as to throw a metronome at me. I mean, what could be more like, <laughs> it's like the movie shocking like, yeah. and, and, and revealing than that? Yeah, right. yeah. But that wouldn't, I, you know, we learn. Tony Robbins says something very, oh, very we love Tony. clear. I love we Tony. Love Tony. But yeah. Tony says you're more motivated by to avoid pain than you are to pursue pleasure, right? So if you're put in a painful enough situation, <laughs> you want to avoid it. So what I would do is like, okay, you want to avoid the pain? Then you need to figure out a way to take that pain and turn it into something that's going to be constructive. They have to, but to, to the get to. Yeah, and that's why I switched that to get to. But you need the pain to motivate you. Right. Because we don't <laughs> learn. It's like every child, it's like, not that every child should touch fire to learn oh, that fire is right. bad, but let's face it. That's we how learned I am. our yeah. biggest step. Our oh, it's biggest, hot! Yeah. You can't tell me. I need yeah. to touch the stove to know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to burn your kid or anything. <laughs> but, but we do. We are so motivated to learn from our failures and from our pains. Those are those stick with us. And so, if you're just smart enough at the time, either consciously or pre-consciously, to realize that that's an opportunity for you, um, and Again, it's recognizing you know, one of my one of my biggest fears is a missed opportunity. Seriously, like <laughs> I auditioned for Stevie Nicks, I missed the audition a few years earlier, and I'll never forget. Man, I was so angry. Like, how come I? I'm so well connected. I've been I've been <laughs> calling people. I'm really tenacious about letting people know I exist and I'm here and I'm ready. And somehow I didn't find out about this audition, and I was so upset that I didn't know about it. Because missed opportunities crush me. They mess me up. I mean, they don't crush me, but they make <laughs> me want to try even harder. They get me yeah. motivated to make sure, like, I missed that. Okay, I got to work even harder. I got to call more people and more musicians and more producers and let everybody I know, you know? So that's just it. My thing is, like, to avoid the pain of a missed opportunity, <laughs> I want to do everything I can do to be aware of all the opportunities and to create opportunities and to pursue opportunities and to see opportunities where others don't like my speaking career right i'm a very for those very successful know, yeah. speaker now I've, I've 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 taken you know a thousand drum clinics i did music clinics and transformed that into a successful corporate speaking career because i saw the opportunity i realized that i'm playing for drummers man I'm not making a hell of a lot of money. I'm telling some great stories. I'm doing some great playing, but they're resonating more with the success coaching. They want to hear the stories. Yeah. They want to, they want to know why I'm up there and they're not. So then I thought, 
was actually talking to Dom Femular, one of the great drummers of our day, and he's a very motivating drummer. And he said that he was doing a drum clinic, and some guy walks up. His kid was there for the drum clinic. The guy's like, I have a little corporation, man. You're so motivating. Will you come and speak at my corporation? And the guy's like, I was thinking I could probably pay you about $7,000. Now, we're making about 700 bucks doing those drum clinics. <laughs> so Dom's yeah. like, uh, yeah. And the guy's like, don't change a thing. Just do what you do. So in the back of my head, I thought, man, I could do that. If I really started to understand what kind of content and what motivated people in these conventions, then I could actually create almost like a one-man show where I'm still playing drums, talking about the artist, telling great stories, but attaching learning points that are applicable to the corporate world. And so I started building it. And it took me years to get it right, man. It's not like, oh, man, I was great. No, yeah. at the beginning, I sucked. Yeah, I love you know? it. You know, that really I saw some of the early, my early corporate speeches. I was like, oh. Yeah. yeah, but you know what? That really speaks to building on the dream. You know, it's yeah. one thing to go after the dream, chase it, and you get yeah. a certain level of success and uh, a certain level of a certain amount of the dream comes true and comes real. Yeah. But then you build on it. And I love how you've built on that with this speaking for a lot of the listeners and that are out there. They don't know. But now you have transitioned a little bit, not away from your music, but towards your new. Yeah. Well, I quit the pink tour. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I actually quit touring. Yeah. To but speak I mean, full time. Yeah. But, it has a stronger calling for me. I still get to play drums, still get to tell stories, and I, but I get to... It's got a deeper level of purpose and a, and a deeper level of communication because communicating as a musician on stage right. is one type of communication. Communicating as a teacher is another kind of, kind of communication. So I'm combining the two. And then I get to be in this different context with people that are, I get on stage with these corporate people like, who the hell, why is the drummer for Pink or, you know, right. the drummer for all these people up here? Like, what's what am I going to get from him? And then all of a sudden it's and a standing no, ovation. No, yeah, they have no idea what yeah. they're in store for yeah. it because I've worked so hard yeah. studying with two speaking coaches, an acting coach, a director, a storyteller, and really refining it and making it into like a one-man show. Again, you know? building on the dream. And it's, yeah. it's yeah. like paying it forward. You yeah. know? You've had all, all the success, all these opportunities. But it goes back to what I originally said is recognizing an opportunity right. that I wouldn't have recognized if I didn't have my eyes open and right. see what I can use. Because for me, I'm very egoless about it. I feel like my, you know, my talent has come through me. My ability to communicate has come through me. It's my only job, my only responsibility is to put it back out there. And it's not about how great I am. It's yeah. like, how hard am I it's going to work? It's a responsibility. You're right. Is, yeah. You right? Know, to give and so back, to, I never to look at it, it as like, there. it's yeah. me. I look at it as like, like I have a platform because I played with all these famous artists. I, I don't, the iron is like, you know, they, they hire me as a rock star drummer to come and speak. I don't look at myself as a rock star. I but you myself, are. No, but I look at myself. Rock star but, but here's the thing. I look at myself but we as, love the as, as, as working. <laughs> but check it out. Check out the difference though. In my mind, I look at myself as I work for rock stars. So I understand and I've studied them. I've studied all, I've watched everybody and why are they successful? Because there's no accent success. You know, you don't become pink, you don't become sheer, you don't become simple minds, you don't become foreign or any of these people. There's no accident. I mean, there are real definitive reasons and combinations of reasons why these people are successful. So I look at that and I study that. And I try to figure out why. So then I can tell those stories and talk about how cool those people are in my speech. I talk about myself as well, but I talk a lot about them. I use them as role models because people love to hear the stories. They love to hear what goes on. 
you know. I love I love the way you extrapolate all these positives out of the rock star lifestyle and experience the kind of magic of that all that yeah. and how you've parlayed that in not only into the book but into your speaking motivational speaking aspects but but relating it to the musical rock star experience I think that's so cool and, well and the idea is to make them feel like rock stars right. I, my, my, my program is called hacking the rock star attitude so my thing is and at the end I give I bestow upon this corporate group their own band name. The idea is like, uh, how are you guys going to feel like rock stars? How are you going to take this information and it. apply it to your lives so you can have a little bit more swagger in everything you do and change slightly change your association with what you had viewed as a mundane right. IT position now with a little bit of swagger, right? Yeah. So that's the idea. That's the goal of what I want to do. And let's talk about the fact that now... Um, that you're making this transition, not away again, not away from music, but towards your speaking yeah. career, which is blowing up right now for all the listeners out there that might not know you as well as we do. You're doing Microsoft, you're doing Dell, you're doing Disney, you're doing major networks. I haven't done Disney yet, but soon. Okay, cool. Uh, but, but, but major course, networks. Yeah. The two are first two are right. Major, <laughs> you know, even yeah. really cool musical, um, like Guitar Center and Gretsch. Yeah, and all that. Well, I mean, I, um, that all of this, all of the corporate stuff came from doing like a gazillion drum clinics for Gretsch and, and the other drum companies I worked for and going to every little music store all over the world. So that was kind of your yeah. boot camp for developing this next level thing that you're doing. Without now. knowing it. I mean, yeah, I was yeah. just doing it for the love of doing the clinics, you know, because I, I, I also like... I like to stay busy, man. When I'm on the road, like, I'm not the guy that just sits and, you know, eats bonbons on his right. day off kind of thing, you know? Like, right. I want to do something. Like, there's a day off. Man, where am I? I could do a drug clinic in a little local music store and, you know. It speaks to the productivity yeah. that you talk about in some of your books and in some yeah. of your speakings. Well, I just like you know. to do shit. And I, <laughs> and I really love the chance to teach and I love the chance to be able to inspire because uh, I feel like, you know, that's what we're here to do, right? But it also speaks to what Sonny was saying about paying it forward because we feel Absolutely. like a lot it, of... That's what it is. Right, it's all yeah. about paying it forward. Right. Uh, it we really feel is. like a lot of people pursue the dream, they get to the dream, and then they have this platform, but yeah. they they forget how to pay it forward. They forget when they were someone on the way that's up. That's only like right. not even half of right. you know, and the battle. One of the, yeah. one of the great <laughs> things that I truly love about you is that... Um, when I first met you, uh, a friend of mine from Amsterdam, rock and roll guitarist, came here to the States. And I had met him in Amsterdam and I was at a wedding in Amsterdam. And uh, through mutual friends, we met and we hung out in Amsterdam. And then when he was coming to the States, our mutual friend said, Hey, here's GM's number. Call GM when you get to LA. GM's, you know, on the scene and he'll, you know. And that was Nard. And Nard, yeah. uh, you know, Ended up building a good little career, doing all the you know music jingles and uh, yeah, you know sort of what incredible. you were doing for right. a really good career. And, yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, he bought a house here on the west side yeah. and did yeah. really well. Uh, and I remember at one point I was trying to get him to produce some tracks for me. I was uh, working on a project, music project, and I needed some tracks produced. And uh, he kept saying, "Well, I'm so busy. I'm so busy." But he kept bringing up this guy named Mark Schulman, Pink Strummer. He kept saying, "Well, Pink Strummer, you should talk to Mark. He's got a studio because I think you just started West Triad." And yeah, he says, "No, you should talk to Mark." And then um, I thought, "Ooh, Pink Strummer. I like. Okay, yeah, that would be somebody because I just wanted some um, rhythm tracks produced yeah. <laughs> to get to get the project jump started because then I could bring in all the guitars and work with George on my vocals and and do all that stuff and." Uh, 
And he kind of kept begging off a little bit, you know, because he was just so busy. But call, you should call this Mark guy. So I said, well, why don't you introduce me to this Mark Schumann guy? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, ooh, Pink's drummer, that's even better than Mark. It was a cold call, wasn't it? Well, no, yeah, what happened was he didn't end up introducing uh, me to you. He ended up just saying, hey, here's a dubber, give him a call. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but this is also speaking to how you pay it forward, and I, I love you so much for that, because it's a good lesson for people to know. And their GM was just handshaking, oh, Mark Schulman. I'm like, I'm going to call this Mark Schulman. <laughs> my, my thing is like, why would anybody be nervous calling me? Well, you know, it's really funny. I got, I got you on the phone, and I thought, well, this guy's going to be a busy guy, too. I mean, he seems busier than Nard, and Nard's begging off. Yeah. But, I'm, you know, I'm again, like, you got to put it out there and have the chutzpah to right, just yeah. call people and say, hey, here I am. I need something from you, even if you Tenacity. don't know them. Exactly. Word of the day. And so I called you up, and you probably don't remember this, but it sounded like you were busy. And I was trying to ingratiate myself with you by how much I knew Nard. So I'm going into the story about how we we met in Amsterdam, and I'm a really good friend of Nard's because I knew you knew Nard well. Yeah. So I thought that would you know kind of speed the plow a little bit with you because um, I was just about to ask you to do something for me, and I, <laughs> it was a cold call, and I don't even know you. And uh, and it was so great because in an, not even in an off-putting or uh, you know pushy way you just said okay so what can I do for you and it was great because you just opened that door you know I was trying to go on and on about how much I knew Nard and how close we were and kind of make way that way well you love to talk and you (laughs) just said yes and someone's got to listen yeah someone's got to listen I think I was like what do you need man like tell me what you need and I love that you said what do you need and I said well you know I'm and I had it all mapped out, you know, I've got these three tracks and I'll need these amounts of rhythm tracks yeah. done and blah, 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 blah. And he told me about your studio and that's what I would be looking to do. And then all of a sudden you just go, uh, and it just kind of pauses for a minute. I'm thinking, oh, wow, this can go one way or the other. Yeah. Either I'm too busy or I don't know you or, and you said, um, I'm looking at my calendar. Can you be at my studio on these days? And I didn't even know what the days are. I didn't care. I was just going to clear my schedule. And yeah. I said, absolutely, I can be there. And I came in and you ended up producing the tracks for me. Subsequently, you ended up yes. um, playing, actually yeah. drumming on some of my tracks with um, and with Eric and everybody. Right, right, yeah. And it, and it was just so man. great. But I, that's just, for me, that's one of the defining things about you, your positivity and your success and your ability to chase the dream and capture it, but also the idea that you didn't forget where you came from and you still like to pay it forward for people that are young and up and coming and trying to make their way. And I think too many people forget that along the way, you know? And I really appreciated yeah. that. It thank, really thank made a huge that. impact yeah. on me. That's I appreciate amazing. that, man. Yeah. That's, that's very cool. And I, I just don't think any differently. Like, to me, it's just natural. Someone calls up, and you recommend it through somebody that I know, so you're already trusted. I'm like, what do you need? How can I help? It's like, if I'm in town, yeah, let's do the tracks. If I'm not, we'll do them when I get back. And I was like, ain't no thing, you know? Because <laughs> to me, it's, first of all, I, one of my favorite things in the world is just playing drums in the studio. You know, strip everything away. My wife asked me once, if you could just do one thing in your life, years ago, I said, probably just play drums in the studio. Now, I, the speaking thing is really a big deal. Yes, but of course. At the time, I was like, I've been touring so much, and I was like, God, man, I just want to just sit. Because there's something about hearing, as I I talked earlier, like hearing somebody's fresh track and just getting in there and just laying down a couple of fresh 
first, second, third takes of something that you is fresh and that new. That first kiss moment. And, and I love that. Yeah. And just capturing the moment. So for me, yeah. it's very exciting. I still do it. I mean, I still do people's records. I love to do it. You know, and almost every record is self-financed because there isn't much music industry left. So it's like people are just paying me to do their records, like from Australia or wherever, you know, like just sending MP3s from... God knows where, and you know, I just had this played on this French guy's record, and I don't even know who he is, and but you know, I just love doing it. I can also bring my friends in because then I can, you know, then Eric gets work. Eric, you know, my studio mate is an engineer, he's like one of the great engineers. Oh, but you know, the big studios are gone, so now we get this great little room, and and then I get Eva playing bass, you know, from the Pink Band. I try to bring in all of our friends, right, so everybody can be a part of it. Well, remember, we all love doing it. Yeah, I remember when you took off, you had to go on the road on a tour or something. You said, okay, you know, we did these little sessions really quick and you're such a pro. I, I just was blown away. because you Better came, than being a con. You, you know? came in and you <laughs> took like a few little notes and, you know, you did one take and then it was amazing. I think you did, um, you know, maybe one or two takes and then, you know, we were like, okay, well, we got all that. You know, it's, yeah. it's all done. And then... You were so cool. You said, now, here's Eric. Yeah. Our really Eric's good amazing. friend. Your well, Eric's going to yeah, do the magic. Eric Obel. <laughs> yeah. He's your partner yeah. in Triad. Yeah. Amazing producer. Amazing engineer. Yeah. He's the guy's got ears. Incredible right? human being. Yeah. Well, he's one of my best guy. friends, of course. Um, and you turned me on to him, and I ended up working a lot more with him over the subsequent years while you were on tour yeah. with Pink. Yeah. Me and him would be in that studio, and it was You just, guys were in the studio a lot. We were. mixing. And, all the time, and yeah. And then I, and he yeah. helped me um, get the track done, too, because I wanted to do some vinyl. Yeah. So I ended up uh, pressing that 12-inch single. and But that was all, you know, rooted in Mark Schulman paying it forward. So, you know, oh, that, you. that to me you. was just... Something I wanted to eliminate on this podcast that, yeah. you know, once you get there, don't forget to pay it forward. Absolutely. You know, too many people just forget along the way how to, you know, um, you know, the, they forget who they are, maybe, or they, they buy into too much of what the success or whatever the dream is that has come true for them. And they kind of forget along the way how to, to give back. So I think that's yeah. one of the major lessons, yeah. you know? I mean, I totally agree. And I think that for me, it's just, kind of part of my makeup like just wanting to be of service yeah. I kind of look at I look at funny about the last in the last like five six years especially if I realize that everything I do is to be of service like when I'm on stage playing drums like I'm there to be of service to pink and the band members and, and the crew audience members and yeah. the audience and like I'm just there to be of service really yeah it's all a service business and I mean, you can get as egotistical as you want. The truth is, that's all she's there to do as well. It's be of service to your audience. If you're not being of service, what do you, then you're just thinking about yourself. And why the hell are you thinking about yourself anyway? Because if you're thinking about yourself, you're not performing. You're not right. literally putting out what you need to put out for others' benefits. And everything I do, I feel like I've just had this basic philosophy. Like, if everybody around me is happy, I'm fine. Yeah. I don't need that much, you know? And I think that's where, where the sort of lack of ego thing is. Is like, I'm not worried about, you know, I'll, I'll be taken care of just fine. My wife's happy. It's a happy wife, happy life, happy right. kid, right. happy life, happy, you know, client, happy life, happy audience, happy life. Right. You know, what do I need, man? It's, it's pretty easy to be happy. I do the work. Yes. Get up there. Put it out there. It's not about ego. It's right. not about, oh, aren't I so cool or aren't I... 
a badass for doing it. No, I'm in a very fortunate position that, you know, I have some responsibility in cultivating, but basically it's because I've got some, you know, muse that's flowing through me and I'm fortunate enough to capture it and have a way of putting it together that it makes sense so other people can enjoy it. And anything above and beyond that is just your freaking ego. And why are you caring so much about yourself or thinking you're so freaking great? I mean, you're not freaking great. I mean, See, you're great for doing the work, but you're right. not any greater than anybody else. It's Let like you are there to be of service to others. Because if you are think that it's all about you, without the others, you ain't shit. So like these artists that get too big for their britches, it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> You, you are only making this amount of money and, and owning your 50-foot yacht because you're being of service to these other people that are paying you money. So quit with your freaking ego because without those people, you ain't shit. And you don't have that yacht. <laughs> yeah. you know? Great revelation. It's like, lesson, it's, like right? very, it's pretty simple. It's pretty cut and dry. And The sooner the you people, realize that, the better. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and the, the people that I respect the most are those people because they kind of realize it. You know, whatever. I mean, it doesn't mean you're going to make yourself accessible to every single person. I mean, you you know, someone, you know, at the level of, of like Alicia Pink, you know, they got to be very careful because, yes, they're very big celebrities and they need protection and security. But there's a difference between that and having a big, big ego because of it. The protection and the security is just, it's mandatory for, a, you know, a to keep the train rolling. Keep you know, the train really, rolling and to keep, keep being successful, service. keep everybody safe yeah. and to to continue with this successful right. um, component of again being of service really. You know? Like you were saying at the beginning, um, you're a vessel, you know? Right. For the universe and you get back. That's what my you put game, out. man. I'm just you a get vessel. Back what you put out. Yeah. You know? As long I as I that. do the work, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I do need to be motivated enough to do the work and I don't always feel like doing the work, but that's when I'll get into that. Like I get to do the work or I'll do, you know, have gratitude or a lot of attitude shifts. Like the, the basic concept of my speech is the power of attitude. And right. so actually there are attitude shifts and I create Ooh. conscious attitude shifts because your attitude is what actually drives your behavior. And you can't control what happens to you, but you can control your attitude. And that's a decision you make. And your behavior is what determines the consequences of your life. So it's A times B equals C. Attitude times behavior equals consequence. It's a very pertinent formula. And it's one that I live by. It's the one I swear by. It's the topic of this next book that's going to come out. And if you remember, at all times, you have that power at any moment to shift your attitude, then you're going to change the outcomes of your life. So it's all about what attitude you want to choose. So the attitudes that I emphasize in my speech, as an example, are the attitude of switching your have-tos to get-tos and the power of gratitude, the absolute power of gratitude, which is, which is enormous. And so these are some of my, my little techniques that I use. If I, if I either am getting angry or feel like maybe I'm getting too egotistical or I feel like I'm getting whatever I'm getting, I will create conscious attitude shifts right in the moment. And it works, you know, it keeps me humble too. That's for damn sure. That segues perfectly into Mark Schulman, the author, because <laughs> I, I really um, loved the title of your first major book. I guess it's your first major book, um, Conquering 
life's yeah, stage conquering fright. life stage fright. But it's not about that. It's about the three steps to top performance. The subtitle: three steps to top performance, which are the three C's, right. which is clarity, capability, and confidence. And it's another concept. Uh, all these concepts are actually created by Dr. Jim Samuels, who's my dear friend. Um, I, I did a variation. He says clear, capable, confident. I say clarity, capability, confidence. Because you need to have a clear, the way to quote unquote overcome stage fright or actually refine into top performance, it's really what it is, because it's a top performance study, is have a very, very clear vision about what you want to do and who you want to be. And then you need to develop your capability, like do the goddamn work. And that's what leads to absolute confidence. Yes, we talked about that on the first podcast. We talked about how be ready to, when you go to pursue the dream and chase whatever that passion is or whatever that talent is, you better bring your A game. And it takes a work ethic. Yeah. So you're speaking to that because we, we we really feel like a lot of people think, oh, I'll just throw it out there in the air somewhere. No, you really you got to see it as a, as a work um, proposition too, like a work ethic. Uh, Absolutely. You got to be want to work for it and towards it. You know, well, the, the perfect example, like, you know, when I talk about stage fright, it's like if you go on stage and you're not prepared, you should be freaking scared, man, because <laughs> you haven't done the work. <laughs> if true. you've done the work and you still have like an excessive amount of stage fright, then, you know, under remember, there, then there are a couple of different um concepts or techniques that I will use, one being... Um, I will start to think, well, if I'm super f- afraid when I go on stage or when I'm going to give a pitch or when I'm going to do a speech or whatever, who am I thinking about? Me. Well, why the hell am I thinking about myself? <laughs> I'm there to be of service. I should be thinking about them. And the moment I put the concentration on them, when I get out to give a speech, I'm not speaking to a thousand people. I'm speaking to you and you and you and you. And I'm looking at everybody individually. It's like I'm having individual conversations. That's the way to remember that you really are just talking to one person at a time. That's why I never say you guys. I always say you because I'm talking to you. And you notice I keep on the whole of you. you The whole of you. But it's really just you because when you're watching, when you're engaged with another, with with a performer or a movie or a speaker, you're not thinking about everybody around you. You are engaged with them or that particular concept. So my feeling is the more I put the energy into you and concentrate on on being there for you, the less I'm thinking of me. And I've done the work, so the work's gonna come out anyway. And if I screw up, man, I'm so funny. When I make a mistake or something goes wrong, I'm the first guy to just call it out. Just own it, yeah. And I'm just like, oh my God, I got so excited, I forgot what the hell I'm going to say. I got to check my notes. <laughs> and you then think you get they care? People, yeah, people love it. People, yeah, and it's all, real. You know, it's organic. You when know? you're on stage, yeah. as an example, whether you're a musician or even a speaker, like the most people's biggest fear, bigger than death, is being on stage in front of people. Because all those eyes, you know, historically, all those eyes on you meant you were going to be eaten. You know, there's there's like there's a DNA, yes. and a long evolution of reasons why right. it it is natural Welcome to be afraid. To the jungle. But it's not it's not present time. And another thing to remember is the chemistry produced by the amygdala in the brain for fear is the same chemistry produced for excitement. They're literally flip sides of the same coin. I, think about, I didn't know think, that. Think about the uh, sweaty palms and the. The overactive, um, or the accelerated heartbeat, the overactive mind, 
it's kind of the same thing. You're going up, like, think about going up in a roller coaster as an example, right? You're getting yourself all worked up, man. You're getting yourself all freaked out. You get to the top, you stop breathing, then you go down, and you hit the bottom, and you go, yeah! Then you get to the end of the roller coaster, you go, I want to do that again! <laughs> right. Because the fear and the excitement are kind of all intertwined. So the very things, I'm not talking about like somebody pointing a gun at your head. Real fear, yeah, that's a different story. <laughs> but I'm talking about, Stage but, but most yeah. <laughs> fear is displaced, yes. right? Right, yeah. So if you are aware that your, your fear is probably not even accurate and shouldn't even really be there, yeah. then you can kind of laugh and go, well, I can also have the power to shift that to excitement. So how? So think about how can I be excited about that? And move beyond the fear yeah. and, and keep pursuing and chasing and going after well just how can i be excited about that you know yeah very simply how can like whatever i'm afraid of at that moment whether it's like playing a note up you know i'm about to get up in front of fifty thousand people or i'm about to do a pitch to a client or about to like ask a girl out i'm whatever i'm gonna <laughs> do how can i be excited about that and trust me if you really think your mind will find a way to be excited about it you just need to know that you can. You just need to know that chemically, you can actually alter that experience by making a decision. You realize when you make a decision, really make a decision, you're cutting off all other possibilities. That's a Tony Robbins one. Yeah. Right? Truly making a decision People means forget there that ain't too. no other possibilities. If you yeah. make that decision, it's, it's that's the why decision. a powerful person, like a real you know leader, makes a decision, yes. man, it affects, it ripples through because they ain't going back on that shit. <laughs> so if you act with that amount of power in everything you do. Yeah, it's definitive. It's definitive. Know? Yeah. It's it. That's yeah. it. I made my decision. Right. That's it. And then you can focus on making yeah. that pan Well, out then the you way. just take action. Right, exactly. Then you move forward on it. Well, the moment you start to waver, it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your new book that you're going to write. Because um, Stage Fright. I already did. Oh, you did. It's already, is, is it already consequence. out? Is yeah. it already out? No, it's not out, but that's, I already talked about everything about it. Easy. It's all about the power of shifting your attitude. What's the title? Uh, we're still working on the title. Okay, cool. Because I know... Because originally it was going to be Hacking the Rockstar Attitude. Okay, cool. Because yeah, I... well, Right now we're thinking about the attitude equation. Ooh, I like a that. Times, a, the that's A times good. B equals C. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. That's good. But, Easy as I one, like, two, three. I like, yeah. I like that in Conquering Life Stage Fright, you also focus so much on the attitude because I think sometimes... Well, in Conquering Life Stage Fright, it's about the three Cs. Right. We learn in groups of three. Right. So it's really... You remember... So it's like A times B equals C... CCC, like clarity, capability, confidence, like, you know, all, if you're acronyms, if you're going to use acronyms for anything or, you know, or use uh, concepts, use them in, in, in triads. Yes. I love trinities. Yeah. I do. Trinities. Sorry, yes. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Or triads. And, well, they yeah. do, but your mind actually, there's, yeah. some, there's some study, Dr. Jim told me about it, that shows that your mind actually digests information best in groups of three. Okay. Shout out so. to West Triad. Yeah, West Triad. West Triad. Yeah. But now, was that an inspiration for the title, or was that just? No, well, actually, no. The, the funniest, no. The funny thing is, like, so it's me and, and then Eric Goebel, oh, right. a great and, engineer, and then and Julian Cordell is one of the great yeah. guitar players. Oh, amazing, Alanis Morissette. Morissette and, but yeah. originally, my my name was like, 
we're right by the water, and I'm thinking, well, there's three of us. Let's call ourselves Wet Triad. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody that's a little said, suggestive. And everybody, yeah, that's exactly what we thought. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. We thought, well, we what if we just take, take one little change? Let's West just try it. Throw an S in there. <laughs> we'll throw an S in there, and that way nobody's going to be thinking you guys are like <laughs> Wet lame triad. or sexual no. or something. Yeah, uh, no. Uh, too suggestive well, yeah, again. Right, yeah. Um, I, that's amazing. Yeah. But I love the vibe there at your studio, too. It's so amazing. Because those yeah. guys are so great, Julian and yeah. I love I, when I was working. They're with my, Eric, like my oh yeah, my when friends when, on the planet. When I'd be working with Eric, Julian would be floating in and out on the way to you know wherever whatever he was doing. Yeah, but um, yeah, so the new book, and then now you're speaking primarily now. Yeah, and my all star band called Rockers Collective. We're doing more and more. Gigs. Ooh, let's talk about awesome. that. Vivian Campbell, Derek Whitley. Well, anybody. Um, well, Vivian and Derek haven't done it in a long time. Okay. What it is, it's a collective of like 40 different musicians that can do it. Mm -hmm. it. It's literally like our subtitle is what musicians do on their days off. Right. So we have this collective of players we can choose from. Um, half the gigs I haven't even done because I've been on the road. You know, right. I've had like, you know, Brian Tishy and Eric Eldenius and Rick, Rich Redmond. Oh, I know, Eric. Drummers, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've recorded drums yeah. with him, yeah. He's amazing. Like different different people yeah. and, and, and whoever's available, you know. So we have different singers. We have this whole staple of musicians, and that's what makes it fun. But the basic kind of core band has been Eva, from, you know, from the Pink Band's been doing it. Julian's been doing it. I've been doing it. Um, We've had different musical directors, either Steve Ferlazzo, who's um, Avril Lavigne, or um, um, Ricky from, uh, um, Ricky just did our last gig. He's like um, Madonna's MD, <clears throat> or Ollie Marlin, who's like one of my dear friends who does share and right. just like, you know, did Gwen's Has it been a long time since Steve Stevens was involved in that too? Steve's or? never done a gig with us. Oh, because I yeah. thought I saw him listed he's on the listed, Rockers collect Rockers But he's never actually done a gig. Because oh. he just hasn't been available. <laughs> Yeah, but he's part of it. Like yeah. again, you, know, you offer somebody money and you got a gig, uh -huh. they'll do it. Right. You know, Vivian's done a gig with us. Yeah. You know, Justin's done a gig with us from the from the Pink Band. Um, Derek Wibley did a gig. We had we had one gig where we had a whole bunch of people say a big fundraiser, so a lot of people sat in. Oh, you awesome. know, that speaks to. Let's talk a little bit about because I want to get out to our listeners some of the cool stuff that you have coming up one is the ukrainian thing with all the drummers yeah can you speak about that can you speak yeah i'd love to speak about it but it's gonna by the time this comes out it might or in a over. nutshell yeah. um uh, no we're, we're gonna get this all, out pretty all quick, we're so. doing is we're just getting like all the greatest high level drummers we can high profile people from you know from steve gadd of any Kaliuta to uh tony rooster jr to you know um, and we're doing it at Russ Miller's studio. Russ is an amazing drummer. He's got this multi-million dollar super state-of-the-art studio. We got 30-person crew. Ooh. It's costing 50 grand just to put it on. We got the, the, the guys wow. that directed the Jerry Lewis, the guy that directed the Jerry Lewis telethon and the stage manager and oh, we're doing wow. interviews and Dave Frangioni, who's the editor of Modern Drummers, doing some doing some interviews. I'm one of the co-hosts. And we're just trying to raise at least a quarter million dollars for Ukraine on May 22nd. Oh, awesome. It's a, it's a combination yeah, of live performances Bravo. and and pre-recorded performances, but just for this gig, so they're exclusive performances. And, and what's, what's the date of that? May 22nd. May 22nd. All right, yeah. cool. Come on. Look out from for 11 This podcast will be out before then. Oh, excellent. So, so awesome. yeah, from 11 a.m. to uh, 5 p.m. It's like a telephone set, so like six hours of just playing and interviews and just awesome. raising money and I love awareness. It. And interviews again? with the Ukrainians and some Ukrainian drummers. And, Perfect. you know, it's this whole 
you know, man, we need to help. The world needs yeah. it. Yeah. Like the world needs it. Yeah. And, and yes. um, community, the community needs yeah. to come together to rally together. Well, That's Scott Swimmer, who's got this amazing uh, cancer drumming charity called Drumstrong, originally called me like three weeks ago or something. And he said, hey, man, can you put together like a, a, like a drum circle to raise money for the Ukraine? And I'm like, man... I always like big. I'm thinking. I'll do you one. Why would we do that? <laughs> or why don't we just get all the drummers in LA and everybody else around the world to send in videos? We'll do something really big. And then you know, Russ came into the picture because Russ was hiring me to actually speak at his new facility. He's got this state of the art facility, and he wanted me to, you know, want some content. So I said, Russ, are you ready to? Can we do the drumathon? He's like, that sounds great. I'd love to. And so Russ comes in, and he's just like. Got this incredible facility with this incredible crew. Where is the facility, by the way? It's in Simi Valley. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, awesome. So uh, we're just doing it, man. We're right in the middle of organizing, like right as we speak. Whoa. It's this crazy organization. The website just went up yesterday, but it's not ready yet. We got more shit and list all the players and, you know, still get people to confirm it all the time and who's doing it live and who's pre-recording. And I mean, it's it's massive organization. Oh, that's amazing. It's way beyond my pay grade. Well, I just kind of came up with, with an idea. Um, based on Scott's idea, and now Russ has really run with it. Now all three of us are just like scrambling and kind of, and trying to get, and getting sponsorship from the companies to underwrite the cost of the production, you know. And it's well, it's a big ordeal, but man, that's what we we got to be as large scale. I mean, you know, our our world is you know yes. Putin's Putin's attacking, you know, trying to create the old fashioned USSR, and after Ukraine, he might go after. Yeah, you know, it's uh, yeah. it's definitely a, a serious yeah. situation, and it's a serious, very very serious situation. Um, Human rights and, it's, and a great charity, honestly, for this moment yeah. in time. We have three it's, different charities that, and the money is going to go right to the charities. Oh, that's Scott, amazing. Um, Scott Swimmer is brilliant with getting money right to the charities. He's worked in nonprofits with his organization for so long. Perfect. So it's like there's going to be no like you know we're not going through UNICEF or anybody's going to take any right. you know piece of it. It's like yeah. we're going right straight to the charities every bit of money that's amazing you know yeah we're paying the crew you know because you need well, to pay I, I don't expect people to work for free it's like when i do a, a a charity event for an artist that i'm working with i can donate my time but they don't assume that we are going to well and also anybody who's ever worked in entertainment knows that the crews yeah, work the crew the gets hardest. paid they, yeah. uh, well they get paid but they work the hardest yeah. those are the hardest working guys right they, they're doing they make all us look the, good they're yeah. Do, yeah. yeah they're well, doing all course. the work i mean yeah. My, yeah. the crews are like wait i I tell people when I give my speeches, like, you know, we had 225 people on the road and every single person was just as important as everybody else. Yeah, of course, yeah. Like when Pink is like parched, when she's just done like a death-defying aerial stunt and, and she's just saying she's running back to like get that desperate sip of water or spray her throat, like the girl that's responsible yeah. for putting the, 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 the liquid on stage right then is the most important person on the tour. Because if, that, if that's not there, then like... She can't even, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, like, and, and like the, the you know, the, 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 the second rigger who's, you know, in charge of making sure that the motor's going to work when she does the aerial thing and is watching the motor like a hawk, you know, like he's the most important person because that motor yes. messes up. No, I remember one know? time on one of the tours, she got yanked off stage. Oh, yeah, someone she almost, didn't yeah, put, she almost died. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's yeah. those guys are the ones you count on. Those are the ones that Absolutely. got your back. Those are the guys that yeah. need to be paid. Yeah. Like yeah, my no drum tech, man. It's like if, if like. I've been on stage where all of a sudden my my pack stops working. So all I'm yeah. hearing is music through my in-ears. If, if that goes out, the only music I can hear is the three-second delay off of the back of the venue. And I have no sense Talk of time, no sense of timing, anything. Yeah. 
And like that's the point where I immediately like grab my mic and look music director, my pack's out. So he starts doing this, he's telegraphing the time to, uh -huh. to keep me in time while I can come and like sometimes the batteries go Tell bad the tech or like you can know get out yeah, there. Yeah, can get out there and like deal with it. But that's what you do, yeah. man. We're relying on each other. That's yeah. so it's not cool. just like even you know, I mean it takes a village, you know. It's teamwork, the, the, man, artist, teamwork. the artist is the critical aspect because the artist is the brand that we're all there to support. Right. I even joke with people. I say, imagine being on stage in front of 50,000 people and not one set of eyes is looking at you. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Like, I'm, I'm, we're the, you know, what are we called? We're called the back line. Yeah. The drum is the bass. Oh, guitar. stop. I've seen the we're big the screens. And, no, but I'm serious, uh, man. FaceTime. But the point is, like, we are all truly, that's why when yeah. people call me a rock star, I just got to laugh. Yeah. Because yeah. my thing is, like, I just I'm play really one on TV. truly there to be, <laughs> support her. Or, but or, yeah. or, you're you know, or in a foreigner or anybody I'm with, it's like I'm there to be support. Yeah, and like you're a rock star, gotta own it. All right, you are. And you know, so what else? We've said they, everything, right? Yeah. yeah, you know, pretty much. I just want to circle back really quickly to some of the key moments when you were pursuing that dream to get where you are today. Like some of those key moments, like when, for example, the first time you got connected to something really big, and then you went, oh. Wow, this is really big. This is this is the next. I'm finally getting there. The dream is finally starting to come real. Is yeah. was was there a moment with a particular gig you got or? Um, well, my first row yeah. gig with Brenda, and the interesting thing about that is, again, relationships are so critical. You know, our success really is based on the relationships we have cultivated. And here's the irony. So I told you I was a grammar tutor at 19 years old. And I tutored a, a drummer named Armin Grimaldi. Brilliant drummer, played with Don Henley, played with Claire Fisher. Oh, wow. wow. And he was going back to school at 26, which ironically was the year that I got my first road gig because he wanted to become an attorney because he wanted to get off the road. Because he's uh, like, I need a more steady gig, man. You know, it's too inconsistent. So I leave town, I move to Portland, Oregon, blah, 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 come back to town, meet Mark Brown, that bass player. Mark's friends with Armin. Armin got called to do the Brenda Russell gig and couldn't do it, but he was friends with Mark. And Mark said, oh, Mark, someone's back in town. Now, Armin and I had played drums together for fun. I was 19. He was 26. I'm like, dude, you're really good, you know? So Armin's like, shit, Mark's back in town. He can do this Brenda Russell gig. So he recommends me. So sight unseen, without having to audition, the gig is mine. I just need to come through. <laughs> By that point, I had already failed the bad English audition. I'd already mm. done my two years of, of rhythm course. I was like, I was, okay, I'm ready now. Right. So I just basically needed to hang on to the gig. And I was so extracurricular that I offered to run the sequencing for my chair. So as long as they paid for an MPC-60, which was the big sequencing thing. So I learned the MPC-60. Now, I already knew the MPC-60. I'd already started playing with it. But I didn't own one, so they bought one. So yeah. I did all the sequencing for my chair, and then and I was running all the sampling. So I, again, I was always extra. I'm like, what do you yeah. need? I'll do more, more, more. You know, and I was being of service, adding value, of service. Yeah, and um, that was my first gig, and that's kind of, you know, through that gig, I started to meet more people, and and then I met you know some of the smooth jazz folks, and and um, that's where I met a, a guy that. I played with and I was playing like at Madame Wong's West at a midnight and Jeff Lorber happened to be there because the bass player Alec was playing with this other guy Madame Wong's and Lorber's like who's that drummer man and so I started playing with Jeff Lorber Fusion and he didn't have any gigs who booked the gigs 
I put together the freaking tour. There like, you go. Because I'm like, I'll be damned if I'm playing with Jeff Lorber, who at the time was still cool fusion artist, and there's no freaking gigs. We don't have any gigs. I'll book them. There you go. Making so it I happen. So I knew people up in the Pacific Northwest where he had been yeah. from too. I booked a two-week tour. And, you know, that's when I met Dave Cause. And through Dave Cause, I then, you know, met Richard Marks. And I got the Richard Marks gig. And, you know, it's... Yeah, you got to yeah. be willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Yeah. You know, you can't see yourself as up here and everything else is down well, there. That's my point. Yeah. Like, why? Like, you know, like with foreigners, like, I'll be damned if that's my gig and there's another drummer playing it. If I'm not going to find out why the hell right. not and what I can do to get right. that gig back. You know, so I'll call tenacity. the producer because if that's a producer you're going to use, then I damn well better let this producer know I exist. Because it's my gig. I auditioned for it. How could you be recording with another drummer? It's like cheating on, like my finding out my girlfriend's cheating on me or some shit, you know? And me and Snotty are in that right now with the creation of this Revelation podcast. Yeah. We're our own talent coordinator. We're yeah. our own transportation. We're our own tech crew. We're, you know, you got to We're be building. To, you got to start yeah. somewhere. You're a yeah. sea of a gazillion podcasts. So you need to make yourself stand out. So you need to figure out whatever it is you need to do get yourself up to float above and beyond on the top of the water instead of, you know, in the sea of, yes. you know, how many countless podcasts and, or you'll well, just be ultimately, on the we're trying to bring service, you know, we're yeah. trying to inspire, we're trying to yeah. motivate, we're trying to bring value. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was saying. Well, I mean, I think that we're bringing value today. I yes. don't like to think so, you know. Awesome. Right? We're 100%. so grateful to have you. Yeah, Thank you I'm so really much. Grateful to be You're here, a busy man. guy. You guys have been great. To give us this time is really more you know, it really yeah, sucks sure. to be in Malibu in a gorgeous Oh, time. I know, right? And our first guest. That's a huge oh, that's first guest. We're honored. First guest. We're honored. You know, it's so funny. On the You're first honored. podcast, we were yeah. talking about omens, you know. And right. Then, and because we, you know, that's such a good thing when things are set and, you know, and things are happening that these little yeah. omens that make yeah. it seem like, okay, this is, we're on the right track here. I got one for today. Yes. Driving up PCH on the way here, a chick rode by me on a motorcycle with a pink shirt on. It's awesome. Like, right, actually, right by Cher's house. Of course, like, a girl I, on a motorcycle would be wearing a pink shirt. Right, right exactly. <laughs> um, I think the good omen, well, one of the good omens, that's a good omen, yeah. uh, is that for our very first guest on a show where we're trying to inspire people to chase the dream, to work hard, you set to the get bar high. The courage. <laughs> you got a guy yeah. who's relentless. Well, no, <laughs> I, I think we have a, a guy in Mark Schulman, the legend in my opinion i'm a legend in my own lunchtime i know you're very humble about your <laughs> well accomplishments, i think but. humility is really really important especially right now because a lot of people are so egocentric and a lot of people particularly in this in this internet age when people are having success for <laughs> almost well timing as well i i all, all i don't i i don't want to say that i think that all success there's a reason for success somebody's doing something to navigate their time or to do the work or to do something to create that success but i think a lot of people are taking responsibility for a lot of things that they aren't necessarily responsible for exclusively you know their thing their opportunities that come through them and they should be paying it forward, as you say, but also giving other people a lot more credit. So other people get to share in the excitement and get to share in the experience. 
like for me, there's there's so many like you know I I don't well, I'm not even talking enough about like my manage my management company owed management for my speaking manager. They're great. Like Arnold, my I call him my right hand arm. He's just mm -hmm. incredible. Shout out to know? Arnold. And my wife and my kid alone, just the support that they give me is just it's just it's just stupendous. And all of my friends and everybody is like I don't even do. I used to do my own drum sessions and engineer my own sessions, and now I won't even do a session unless Eric engineers it because Eric is such a great engineer. I'm kind of, I find I'm like, why struggle? When he's better, and I can include him, and he can make some money, and, right. and everybody I remember wins, all know? the hours and hours and hours I spent in the studio with him, and we're mixing, and we're yeah. recording, we're doing all these things, and just his acumen, and his, his ears, talent for that, his, his ears, ears, everything about him is, he's why lovely. would you do it yourself he's if you got Eric in the room, He's right? lovely, because his energy is so brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So I just think it's a matter of, of humility is very very yeah. critical right now. Of I think course. for everybody. I mean, in the world, period. Um, even after having the president that we just had, you know, who just had like no humility whatsoever, everything was about him and took credit for everything. And it's like it just makes everybody else feel bad when you are taking credit for something that they deserve credit for. Right. I'd rather give extra credit to people than take more credit for myself. Because then I'm, again, being of service, right. more of service to others. This is why we feel um, so honored and that it's such a great omen that you're our first guest. Cause well, we're... and I give you credit for, for uh. having, recognizing the opportunity. And, you know, just because GM and I went out to lunch last week or whenever, he's yeah. like, we're doing this podcast. Like, you want to be I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, hey, all you got to do is ask. The power and, of three. But the whole <laughs> intention was that you would possibly be the first guest because for yeah. us that we feel like you kind of are the physical embodiment of the concept of this and <laughs> an interesting it's very in nice man. way uh we thought wow who better you know to, oh, to 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 help us launch this idea of like let's be inspirational let's tell people to continue to dream work hard and find the courage and yeah. keep the right attitude and pay it forward and all these things yeah. that and do the work and yes and do the work be us, humble you've given us so and many and you get like, to do it you don't have to yes. you get to yes Attitudes and get to's exactly yeah. so many good like nuggets of yeah. knowledge and inspiration well the nuggets are what we remember man that's yeah. what keeps me going so we're, we're super grateful thank you so much I'm so grateful and we'll look forward to having you on again in the future when this thing is yeah. what it is because yes. you bought me a cup of coffee alright you're such a cheap date ready for another one another one Right. Uh, we can make well, that happen for you. Don't you know who I think I am? I know, right? <laughs> to our listeners, you know, we're sending light and love and all of the above. Yeah. Thanks for Light and love and all of the above. I like yeah. that. I might take that. Yeah, yeah. Keep dreaming. Keep yeah. listening. Yeah. You know what I say? One of, my, one of my quotes is, dream your life and live your dreams. I love and it. you know what? That's a mic drop. Dream yep, your life yeah, and yeah. live Pow. your dreams. We might borrow that. Take it. Yes, we, yeah. It. <laughs> borrow it. Take it. Awesome. Listen for more episodes of Revelations. Thank you, Revelations. Right. And we're out. Cool. That's a wrap. That was great, man. Yeah, oh, that was Thank so you easy. So so much. Yeah. Great fun, man. Thank you, Mark. Uh, you just, it's, like, it's a good podcast. It's, I mean, it's a great concept, and, and 